Hey, it's Pastor Tim. Thank you for listening. I pray this message inspires you to live a life engaged in Jesus Christ. Welcome home. Happy Sabbath, church. How great is it to be fully known and loved by God? Man, this morning, I am... I'm excited to share this message with you. I, this, as I was going, going through it this week, like, it really, it really moves me. And I, I learned a lot of few things from a story that I feel like I've read so many times. So that's, that's always the case, right? You go back to the same stories you've read since you were a kid, and there's always something new to learn from God's word. So, I am a big Formula One fan, and I'm probably the only person in this room who watches Formula One. I don't, most people don't really enjoy watching cars run around a track. In fact, Miguel roasted me one morning while I was watching the race, and I was like yelling at the TV, and he was like, bro, what are you yelling for? They're just going around in a circle. But listen, Formula One is, is so cool to me. And um, back in 2020, there was a race in Saudi Arabia. And there was this one driver. His name is Sergio Perez, also called Checo. Checo is the only Mexican driver on the grid. And in Formula One, there are 10 teams, like 10 companies, like Mercedes, Ferrari. And each team has two drivers. So there's a total of 20 drivers on the grid. Sergio Perez was for a team called Racing Point. And it was near the end of the season, and Perez's contract was coming to a close. And he was a solid driver, like a good driver, but there wasn't anything that really made him next level. At least it seemed like that. And so there was a whole lot of rumors that no one was going to sign this, this dude and he was going, probably not going to have a racing seat. Because in Formula 1, like, you have to compete at the highest level. If you're not competing at the highest level, then there's going to be somebody else that's going to take your seat. So, Chaco's worried, right? He might not have a job next season. And so at this race, he's starting the race off in fifth place. Pretty good starting position in, in a race of 20 cars. And... Coming into turn four, he has a really great start off the line, and everyone just gets in the first lap. The first lap is probably like the best lap in Formula One, because that's when everyone's really close together, and that's when all the action happens. And so in that first lap, everyone is super aggressive, and we come into turn four, and someone gets a little too aggressive, and then some cars go into each other, and somebody bumps into Checo, and Checo ends up spinning out. And two cars ended up getting knocked out of the race because of the damage. Shago, fortunately, his car survived, but he had some tire damage. So this man had started in fifth, and then he got bumped by someone, and now he's at dead last. So two cars are out, so he's in 18th place right now. And on top of that, he has to go into the pits to get new tires. So now he's going to be falling even farther behind. And in Formula One, Time is everything. Like the gap might not look 
that big to you, but something like a five second gap can take like 10 laps to, to get back into, right? And this race is 87 laps and the crash happens on the very first lap. So now he's in last place with 86 laps to go and in Formula One, only the top 10 positions get points, right? So if you fin finish 10th, you'll get one point. If you finish first, you get 25 points. So the points get split up. So he has to at least try to get to 10th place. Incredibly hard in Formula One if you're dead last. You have to navigate through all types of turns, navigate around all the cars, catch up. And on top of that, this is a very, it's not the best car that he has. This is a very mid-performing car. So to get all the way up to 10th place, eight spots, that's, that's crazy. It's unheard of. So Checo tries. And he drives an absolutely insane race. He has some, so imagine, right? Imagine, have any of you driven up to Tantalus? Tantalus Lookout? Right? That's what a Formula One track is like. Right? And you take those turns, if you're a good driver, you take those turns at like 50 miles per hour, right? maybe 10. These cars are taking corners like that at like 40 to 50 miles per hour. Right? This, is, this is fast. And so he is pushing the car to the absolute limit. And he's overtaking people one by one. And some drivers start making mistakes. And he gets to take it of that he just makes all the right moves and you know what place he finishes in first. he finished in first <laughs> from last place to first that is absolutely insane and the best part is this man has been racing in formula one since 2011 and he had never won a single grand prix and that was his first win it definitely caught the attention of other teams and after the end of that season, Chago ended up getting signed by one of the best teams in Formula One. And this season, right now, he's currently the second best driver in Formula One. He went from possibly not having a seat, and then he gets into this wreck, and it just looks like it's completely over for him. And here he is now, racing on one of the best teams. Everyone loves a good comeback story, right? It's, it's really heartwarming. It's like... You, like, you feel like you could take on the world. Like, you're ready to, to, to move mountains and everything when you, when you hear of comeback stories like that. Really cool moment for him. In life, we face challenges, right? Sometimes we have a really, it seems like life is going really well. Things are going good for us. Everything's clicking. All of a sudden, something happens. You get knocked out. You spin out. And it's frustrating. You find yourselves dead last in this, the long race of life. You find yourself walking in the darkness. What do you do when you mess up? What do you do when you let others down? When you struggle with the same mistakes over and over again? What do you do? Today, I want to talk about someone who found himself in a very dark place, dead last for him. And we're going to discover his amazing 
comeback story. Let's start with prayer, though. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this opportunity to come and spend time as a family in your presence and to just talk about you and your love for us. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do. And I pray that you'll speak to me and speak to those who need to hear this message. May we be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, before I begin, uh, I want to... Pastor Tim told me that I needed to use a prop for my servant. I had to use a prop. So I had to think of what I was going to use for my prop to help illustrate my sermon. So I thought of this cajon since I found this last week. Like, I like cajons. Cajons are, are simple, they're fun, and they add a nice chill, chill vibe to uh, worship music. So um, on Thursday, on Thursday, I came here to practice with Manny, John, and Isaac for praise and worship this morning. And went well. And as we were wrapping up, Mandy came over to inspect the cajon. She was like, what is this on top? And I don't know if you can, if you can see it. Probably not, but there's like these dots. There's like a little circle. There's a couple of scratches and stuff on this cajon. This is not the design of the cajon. It's likely that something was left on top of the cajon and it got marked up and it got damaged and got all scratched up. And yeah, now it looks a little, little ugly, a little ugly. So now that this cajon is damaged and, and scratched up and messed up, what do we do with the cajon? Isaac said he, where's Isaac? Oh yeah. <laughs> Isaac, you said you bought this cajon like pretty recently, right? And then, oh, it was a while ago, but it's just been sitting back there, right? What if I told you that I just want to throw this cajon out because it's, 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 yeah, you'd be upset, right? It's pretty, but it's pretty damaged though, right? Like, is there, is there any use for this cajon? Like, it's ugly. Like, we want nice things in the church. We want good looking things in the church. This is trash, right? So what, what do we do with this cajon? We'll get back to the cajon. We're going to move into our story. The character that I want to talk about today is Peter. Who is Peter. Peter was an apostle. Peter was a disciple. What was Peter originally? He was a fisherman. Yes, Peter was a fisherman. But what else was Peter? What was his character like? Let's talk about that. He wanted to be like Christ, but when we first meet Peter, when we see Peter through the Gospels, Peter is impulsive. Peter is ambitious. Peter's very vocal. He's a man who, who loves to boast, who loves to be right. This, this man had the audacity to rebuke Jesus. Do you remember that story? When Jesus first tells the disciples, like, I'm going to be betrayed and given into the hands of the enemy, and I'm going to be crucified. Peter pulls Jesus aside, and he said, what is wrong with you? You can't talk like that. You're, that's not going to happen to you. And then there, there were other moments where he would constantly be arguing with the other disciples about who's going to be the greatest, who's going to get to sit next to Jesus. And then another time when Jesus said he was going to be betrayed, Peter was like, hey, these other disciples, they might abandon you, but I, I would never abandon you. I will never, never leave you. I will follow you to the grave. When Jesus was getting arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did Peter do? 
He pulled out his sword and tried to kill someone. Missed terribly. Only got in the air. But you see, you see Peter, like, Peter's aggressive. Peter's so impulsive. Kind of does before he thinks about stuff, right? That's who Peter was. But you got to think, right? As a very flamboyant of a personality that Peter has, his heart was kind of in the right place. He genuinely loved Jesus. He, he knew that Jesus was the Son of God. He just had the wrong idea of what Jesus' mission was. And so he had some growing to do. And Jesus knew. Jesus knew that Peter had some growing to do. And so he told him one day, when Peter was, was trying to say how much he, he would stick with Jesus and, and never abandon him, Jesus tells him, what was he going to do? Ooh, that's not what Jesus said he was going to do. What, <laughs> what, what did Jesus say he was going to do? He was going to deny him. He was going to deny him three times. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. If you have to repeat something three times, you must genuinely mean it, right? The first time you say it, it could possibly be a bluff. The second time, you might seem to mean it a little bit more, but it also could be a bluff. But the third time, if you have to repeat the same thing three times, you must genuinely mean what you're saying, right? And so, Jesus is before the Sanhedrin. He's getting interrogated. He's getting smacked. He's getting mocked, humiliated. And Peter followed Jesus, and he's standing, or he's sitting there in the courtyard. And he's sitting around a fire with a group of people. He probably has his hood on and his head down, not wanting to be noticed, but he wanted to be there to see what would happen. And a servant girl sees him. She's like, hey, wait a minute. Aren't you that guy that was with Jesus? Aren't you one of his disciples? What does, he, what does Peter do? Nope. No, you, you got the wrong guy. I have, I have no idea who this man is. And then somebody else is like, wait, no, she's right. I've seen this man with him before. I've seen him with Jesus. He must be one of his followers. Peter, again, what did he say? No, you got the wrong guy, man. You, you're seeing things. I do not know who this man is. I'm just, I'm just here. I'm just a bystander. Some time goes on, maybe an hour, and there's one person there who's been eyeing Peter up and down the whole time, the Bible says that the, the man spoke up, said confidently, no, I know you were with Jesus. You're a Galilean. You're definitely one of his followers. And this time, Peter is just sick of it. Like, look, man, I told you, I do not know who this man is. And he even goes on to swear, saying that he did not know Jesus. Three times. Three times mean, means that you must probably mean it. And that, that's swearing. That had to have proved, right, that, that Peter was not a follower of Jesus. Because what follower of Jesus would speak like that? 
So we're going to pick up Luke 22, verse 61. Peter is cursing up the storm, denying Jesus, and the rooster crows. And in that very moment, the Bible says the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Imagine, right? Peter is so mad, saying all these things, the rooster crows, and while the words are still coming out of his mouth, him and Jesus make eye contact. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said, Lord, I will follow you to the grave. I will never abandon you. And says that afterwards, Peter went out and whipped, wept bitterly. Peter Lows. He had hurt the Son of God, his master, his friend. Imagine the pain that's going on in Peter's heart. That look that Jesus gave him must have pierced him to his very core. Have you ever felt like you've betrayed Jesus? That you've done something so terrible that you don't even seem like a follower of his anymore? You've showed everyone that you could not be a follower of his. Some mistakes that you've done, maybe you don't even want to repeat to yourself. Or maybe it's a mistake that you just do over and over again. Do you ever feel like you've broken his heart beyond repair? Because that's how Peter is feeling. He's abandoned. He's abandoned Jesus. All the other disciples, they've run away. And now Peter is in this darkness all alone. How do you come back from something like that? I have good news for you guys. Even when we bring ourselves into the darkness, Jesus has already formed our comeback story. No matter how dark it gets, there is no place too dark, no place too far that Jesus can't bring you back from. The dawn still comes for those in the darkness. And it's all because of Jesus. These are three things that Jesus does in the story that I want to point out. He fights for us. He calls us by name. And he restores us. Luke 22, verse 31 to 32. Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may stiff you as wheat. Jesus knew what Peter was about to do. But what does he say? I have what? I have prayed for you that your faith should not 
fail. I know the devil is going to attack you. I know you are going to struggle with all kinds of temptations. But I have prayed for you. That your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, what does that imply? He knew Peter was going to fall away. But when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Jesus knew Peter was going to fall. Because Peter had all those characteristics. He knew that he was in a vulnerable spot. That Satan was going to be able to attack him because of those vulnerabilities. So what characteristics in you that leave you vulnerable? Maybe like Peter. Maybe you're a little impulsive. Or do you, do you trust in your own willpower to get you through? Do you have pride in your heart? Do you have these struggles that make you lose your self-worth? Do you struggle with depression? Do you struggle with addictions? Do you struggle with loneliness? All these things make you vulnerable to Satan. But Jesus knows. Jesus knows that Satan is going to attack us when we are vulnerable. Because of that, Jesus says, I have prayed for you. He lets Peter know that he's prayed for him. And he has prayed for you too. Do you know where he prayed for you? John 17, verse 20 and 21. Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. His last moments on earth, he is about to be crucified. He's about to be betrayed. He's about to go through all kinds of pain. And this is his prayer. I do not pray for these alone, the disciples, not just the disciples alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Who's that? It's us. All of us who will believe in him through his word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me knew that this life was going to be a battle. That Satan would attack us in our most vulnerable spots. And so he prayed earnestly. He prayed for Peter. He prayed for the disciples. He prayed for you. You were on his mind in the garden. And after that prayer, Jesus went on to go fight a battle with death in the grave. And who came out victorious? <laughs> who came out victorious? Jesus. Jesus defeated death and the grave. So he won. And not only that, he intercedes for you now. So even if you mess up, Jesus fights for you and wins. He has prayed that you would remain in him even if you fall, even if you end up walking in the darkness. 
The dawn has already been promised you. How much easier would life be if you knew that there was someone out there who cared for your success, who wanted you to succeed, and then did everything so that you could succeed in life? I don't know if you remember what life was like when you were a young kid back in school, maybe high school. I remember that the teachers would make college seem like it was going to be the, like, the most difficult thing I would ever go through. Like, it was scary. They made the professors sound like they were going to give you a 20-page paper with one week to turn it in, and they didn't care. Like, you were going to have to do it. And so they made themselves seem like, oh, yeah, like, we're really nice. We give you guys grace. But you need to know that college is no joke. And so I'm coming to college, and I'm, I'm scared. Like, am I, like, I'm a chronic procrastinator. I'm terrible at studying. Like, Am I going to be able to do this? Am I going to be able to survive? And I got to Southern, and I met some of the most caring professors. Like, they tried to have a connection with the student. They tried to develop a good relationship. Outside of class, they would come talk to us. They would say hi to us. There were, there were some professors who were, were extra, extra kind. And this was pretty, pretty uh, life-saving for me. But there, were, there was about three professors, I think, who would give you up to 72 hours after the due date to still turn in your assignment, and you would only lose 10%. That was pretty great for someone who procrastinates like me. And not to make college seem like it was easy, and I got you know, my hand held all the way through and, and, and graduated. But it was nice to know that the professors cared. And it made me, that's what honestly really kept me through theology, because I enjoyed learning from them. And I, learned, I enjoyed connecting with them. That's what Jesus does for you and I. He fights for you. He, despite your struggles, despite your vulnerability, he has already set you up for success. He has already formed your comeback story. Second point is he calls us by name. Mark 16, verse 7. After the resurrection, Jesus, Jesus, uh, wait, no, not Jesus. The angel speaks to the women who came to the tomb, right? And they're like, oh, where's Jesus? And he's like, do you not remember Jesus said that he would rise again? And then he tells the woman this. Go tell his disciples, and who? Peter. That he's going before you into Galilee. There you'll see him, as he said to you. Why do you think the angel singles out Peter in this verse? If Peter had not been mentioned in this it's m most probable that he would not have gone. Peter, he felt deep remorse for what he had done. Right? The Bible says that he went and wept bitterly. He knew he was wrong. He knew he messed up. He repented. But he must have felt like he was too far gone. That he could no longer be a disciple of Jesus. 
He had denied, he had not denied him three times. How could he go back and be one of Jesus' disciples? And the disciples must have probably felt like Peter could not be a part of them either. Jesus knew. And so he singles out Peter to tell him, hey, you're still part of the game. I have not abandoned you. You're not, you're not alone. Have you ever felt that you've made such a terrible mistake that you were so sinful as a person that you cannot be in the presence of God anymore? I used to struggle with that. Like, I would not want to open my Bible. I would not want to pray because I just felt like I'd like, how could I? I needed to make myself right first before I could go to God. Like, me in my sinful state, I could not, I could not go to Jesus. But Jesus calls you and I by name. You may have put yourself in the darkness. You may have messed up. And you may feel like you can't come to God anymore. But what did Jesus come into this world to do? To save it, right? John 3.17 says that I have not come to the world to what? To condemn the world. But to save it. He calls me and you by name. He says, come. Come and see me. You are still my child. And the devil might try to make you feel like you're separated, that you're unworthy. Like, you said those things. You, you did these things. How can you be, how can you claim to be a disciple of Jesus now? But as we learned in the last point, despite our vulnerabilities, Jesus fights for you. He prays for you. And he calls you by name. He lets you know that you are still his child even if you are in the darkness. Your comeback story has already been formed. Final point is he restores us. This is, this is the, coolest, the coolest part for me. I, this really blew me away when, when I read it and started to connect the dots. It's John chapter 21. So Jesus has already appeared to the disciples in that room. Right? They think it's a ghost. Jesus says, come, come feel my hands. Come see the scars. Really me. And so, after all this, starting in verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. Have you ever, like, just had so much on your mind that you have this one thing that you do so you can clear your mind? For me, it, it, was, it was driving. Like, when I had my Miata, there were days where I was just so stressed out, so frustrated, that I would just go out and drive just, just to clear my mind. And this is, this is Peter, right? Peter is, he's betrayed Jesus. He's denied Jesus. And now Jesus has risen from the grave. There's just so much going on in Peter's mind. And he tells the disciples, 
guys, I have to go out. I got to go fishing. So they said to him, we are going with you also. So they went out and immediately got into the boat. And it's at night. It says that they caught what? They caught nothing. Man, this is, this is so good. So they caught nothing, right? And morning had now come. Jesus stood on the shore. And the disciples did not... I'll go to the next verse. The disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So, the disciples are out fishing. There's a man on the shore who they don't know. Right? This, this, Jesus says to them, what? How does he address them? Children. These disciples that ran away, that abandoned him. A disciple that denied him three times. How does he address them? Children, like a loving father, have you any food? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. Does this story sound familiar to you? So they cast on the right side, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Next verse. Suddenly, it clicks in John's mind. He turns to Peter and he says, it is the Lord. This is Jesus. And Peter, all of a sudden, loses all his brain cells. And it says, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he had removed it and plunged into the sea. That makes no sense. Imagine that you're on a boat and your friend is in, in a tank top and you're like, hey, let's go for a swim. And he goes and grabs his hoodie and jumps in. <laughs> what are you doing? Why would you put on your outer garment? For some reason, Peter puts on his outer, he's, like, he's just not thinking. The only thing he cares about is getting to Jesus. He plunges into the sea. This part is really funny. This is John writing, right? So Peter jumps into the sea and says, The other disciples, they came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, or 100 yards, dragging the net with the fish. So John's like, I honestly had no idea what Peter was doing, because we were all on the boat, and we just had to row just a couple times, and we were at the shore. So I imagine, right, the disciples are, are rowing, and Peter's there swimming with all his clothes on, like, come on, Peter, let's go. And they get to the shore. And as soon as they had come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there, and the fish laid on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. And Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. And what does Jesus say to them? Come and eat some poke with me. <laughs> Jesus wants to hang out with, with his friends, his companions. 
But this story is familiar to you, right? Where, where do we see this story before? When Jesus calls the disciples, right? When Peter first gets his call, what is Peter doing? He's fishing. And how did his fishing go? Nothing, right? Cut nothing. What does Jesus tell him to do? Cast the net on the other side. And what happens? They catch a whole bunch of fish. Here's the other thing. When they get to shore, what do they see? What did Jesus start? The fire with the fish, right? So Jesus is there. He's prepared a fire for them. What was Peter standing in front of when he denied Jesus three times? A fire. Do you, do you see what's going on here? Do you see what Jesus is doing? Jesus is setting up the same scenario. The same scenario where he called Peter the first time. The same scenario where Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus set up the same scenario, and what does he do? Verse 15 of John chapter 21. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah. Remember when your parents called you by your full name? You were in trouble? Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And there's, there's a debate about whether Jesus was talking about the disciples or if he was talking about the fishing. But I think what matters is Peter's response here. What does he say? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Think about Peter's character and the way he always responded to things. The, the way he would say it. The old Peter would have been like, yes, Lord, I love you. I absolutely love you more than these. I will never abandon you. I will follow you to the death. This time, Peter's calm. He's humble. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Three times, Peter denied Jesus. Three times, Jesus questions Peter's love for him. What is going on here? My Bible, at, at the top of this section of, of verse 15, says Jesus restores Peter. This man who had once used to be so boastful, 
so impulsive. Here he was, humble, admitting that Jesus already knew his heart. He didn't have to say some fancy stuff, impressive things for Jesus and, and all the disciples. He knew that he loved Jesus. And he knew that Jesus knew. Maybe you do genuinely love Jesus, or at least you want to love him. You want to love him deeply. Days you wake up and you want to be a good person. You want to spend time with Jesus. You want to grow. But then you hit the, the bumps. You spin out. You fall. You end up in the darkness. Jesus knows that you'll mess up. But he knows that you love him. He knows the genuineness in your heart. And to those who genuinely repent and love him, he restores. But he has to address the issue at hand. And Peter repented. But Jesus had to address the issue. He had to touch the wound. There was a time when I was a kid when I dislocated my shoulder. And that, 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 like, I've never broken a bone, so the dislocated shoulder is probably the most painful thing that has ever happened to me. And like, I, couldn't, you know, I couldn't lift my arm or do anything, so I had, and it was my right arm too. So I had to do everything with the left, left hand for like a night and then in the morning. And my mom took me to the hospital to, to get it fixed and came to the doctor, told him what happened, and he took my arm and started to lift it. Like, I can't lift my shoulder, like my arm, right? And so this is, this is really painful for me to do. And then all of a sudden he just like does a little twist and pulls it. And like the pain was so crazy, but it was so fast that I didn't have time to react, right? And then all of a sudden it was gone. And I can, I can you know, my arm is fine. I can move it again. Imagine if I told the doctor, as he's reaching for this arm, like, whoa, 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 whoa wait, wait, that's going to hurt. Why don't you touch this shoulder? Or why don't you just, like, pull my finger or, or my knee? Don't, don't touch my shoulder because it hurts. Don't, don't, don't touch it. Like, fix it some other way. It, it doesn't make sense, right? The doctor has to work on the arm, the shoulder that's been dislocated. But why? Is he doing it so that he can hurt me? By the third question, right? Peter, Peter says, it says that Peter was grieved that Jesus would ask him again if he loved him. But Peter never gets flamboyant or aggressive with his response. He stays humble. He stays calm. Simply says, Lord, you know. You know all things. He knew that Jesus had every right to, to question him, right? Because he had denied him. But he remains humble. And what does Jesus tell him to do? 
feed my lambs. That's what he had called Peter to do from the beginning, right? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And Jesus recreates the same scenario, the fishing, being at the shore, the fire, the same scenario, and he restores Peter in that. The same calling that I gave to you, the same, the same desire that I had for you from when I first met you on that shore, is the same way I feel about you right now. I don't... Despite what you've done, despite how you feel, I still called you. You are still my disciple. What are your wounds? What are the painful areas in your life that you don't you hope that Jesus won't touch because it's just too painful? What are, what are the mistakes that have left you out in the darkness? Is it the fights with your spouse? Is it looking at things that you shouldn't be looking at? Is it the drinking? Is it the depression? Is it the broken relationships? The stuff that's too painful for you to address to yourself, to others, to God. Jesus wants to heal your wounds. Jesus wants to restore you. Even though your mistakes have brought you into the darkness, he has already formed your comeback story. He fights for you, he calls you by name, and he restores you. You haven't lost your worth because of your mistakes. You haven't lost your calling because of your mess-ups. You haven't lost your identity in Christ because of your sins. There is now no condemnation for you. When you believe in Jesus, you are a child of God. And that's that. Your purpose remains. So let's go back to this cajon. My force prop for my sermon. <laughs> this cajon with a whole bunch of scratches and marks up on the top. It's now seemingly imperfect, right? But is it useless? Maybe all it needs is someone who can restore it to its original beauty. Maybe all it needs is a fresh coat of black paint so that it can be covered. Its beauty is restored, and it continues to make the cool rhythms that, that move the church worship service. You know, Jesus offers you a fresh coat. Fresh coat as well. Sin may have damaged our image, but that doesn't mean God throws you away. Buy the fresh coat of the blood of Jesus. You can have your comeback story. So, are you ready for your comeback story? Are you ready to answer the call of being a disciple of Jesus?
Thanks for listening. If you'd like to support this ministry with your time, treasure, or talent, please visit our website at kaneohesda.org. Have a blessed rest of your day.